Hello, and welcome to another podcast from Otaku Review. Uh, I am your host, LB. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, CT. Evening, folks. So, this is our 50th, 50th podcast. Uh, it took us over two years to get here, but we're at number 50, so happy 50th episode to you. Thank you. Happy 50th. I was going to say, if it was 50, then that must be, that must mean that due to our uh, uh, rigid weekly constant content scheduling that we must be coming on just about one year, but uh, m- maybe that didn't happen. Hmm. So, all right. Uh, the topic for this episode is going to be a lot more casual than usual. We don't have a list that we're going to be counting down or anything of that sort. Actually, the topic that we want to talk about today are our anime origin stories. This is something that CT and I have both kind of hinted around um, our various histories, but we've never really done like a deep dive into how we got into this crazy hobby of ours. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to go ahead, we're going to jump right into things, and I'm going to go ahead and let CT answer the question first, which is, how did you first get introduced to your very first anime title, and what was it? Okay. Uh, before I answer that question, I would just like to mention that uh, go- going by, you know, the Otaku Review, this is actually the first episode where we're going to uh, fulfill the literal reading of it because we are Otaku and now reviewing each other. So, so. <laughs> uh, I have a somewhat convoluted answer to that, which... Imagine uh, my shock. <laughs> by, by which I mean that... Uh, to me, for instance, you know, I am, I am eld. I was born in '75, uh, so when I was a kid, there were, you know, anime dubs on broadcast television in the U.S. at that time. Could have caught things like Speed Racer. You could catch uh, uh, things like uh, G Force, Battle for the Planets, stuff like that. Uh, I do not count those as part of it, even though they are anime, and even though anime dubbed these days, uh, you know, (laughs) tries to be a a whole lot less edited and a whole lot more uh, authentically translated. Back then, not so much. So, you know, they'd just throw episodes out, they would change things around, uh, they would get horribly mutilated so i don't really count that as uh as anime exposure uh after that before i picked up anything uh in in my high school days i was introduced to robotech which pretty much hit all of the buttons and one might consider it you know another hack job and of course the way that the project uh, worked out, there were changes that they were going to make uh, to get it to fit, and they obviously bl- blended three shows together to get there. But frankly, 
I don't think it strayed too far outside of the kind of things Macross was trying to convey. Uh, in some cases, they're actually more mature than the source. So uh, it it feels much closer. So I half count Robotech uh, as part of it. Certainly, I think with the timing and everything else and the subject matter, it uh, primed me for uh, what was to come. So my, but my first actual exposure that I count uh, was in high school. Uh, after I joined, I made friends uh, who were upperclassmen um, because I would meet them through band or something like that. And I had joined marching band right away. So of particular people, you know, I, it, it's a fairly easy way to blend uh, the class and the age groups. Uh, anything extracurricular, and in this case, curricular classes. Uh, and so, you know, back at the time, there weren't a whole lot of people doing things like collecting comics, which I was. So the ability to find other people who were into some of the nerdier crafts like uh, comic collecting brought you together one way or the other. And uh, one guy who was just a year older than me led me over to his favorite comic shop, which I would eventually start renting a lot of anime from. But uh, not at the time. It was just being introduced to this guy. And a lot of this is lost to the mazy his <laughs> the, the mists of time. Uh, I believe he had an older brother. You know, he was a sophomore in high school. I believe he had an older brother in college. And they were doing, you know, like the college club stuff. People would bring tapes in. They would record uh, stuff. And, and what happened was he had a bunch of tapes with anime on it and would lend it to me. And what I would do is I started just giving him... Uh, VHS tapes to record his stuff on to, and he would keep collecting through the college club going forward. So I would give him tapes, he would give it back to me with everything that he had on it. So it became kind of a two-person swap. <laughs> uh, so the, the first... I know that the very first tape that I had uh, from him and the very first anime on it was Bubblegum Crisis Episodes 1 and 2. So that is what I consider my official entry point uh, to anime. Uh, the rest of the tape, I believe, had Dirty Pair, Project Eden, Megazone, 2-3 Part 1, and I think Great Digital Target? That sounds right. Possibly Venus Wars. There are a lot of things that kind of merged themselves pretty quickly in those first few tapes. Mm -hmm. But uh, the other thing to mention about it is, of course, that these weren't being broadcast on television, so they were not dubs. They also weren't picked up by anyone and legally licensed out here. And fan subbers really weren't a thing that they had access to. Uh, so, <laughs> so it was effectively people passing around raw anime and uh that's how i consumed most everything for the first few years and and an awful lot of anime i would 
eventually pick up some uh, subtitled stuff and be scared by the Warriors of the Wind dub for Nausicaa. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, that I'm not sure how many years it was uh, that case, but, you know, more more than a few. Uh, and it was largely just me and the other guy sharing and occasionally we didn't really watch much together uh occasionally and the, you know when you have people who can't really drive and can't hang out all that often it became you'd meet at school you'd swap i'd give him tapes at school he'd give things back to me and then we would watch uh and chat about it uh, at some point later but uh so for the for the first few years it turned into me watching a lot of anime in raw Japanese, over and over, looking up the occasional script that I could find on a BBS, uh, but that was few and far <laughs> between, and doing it entirely by myself. But I was seriously drawn into it, and I had so little that these things I watched an awful lot. <laughs> I just kept rewatching them. Uh, so there's. Uh, and I would I would keep uh, like I would I would make mixtapes by holding my uh, mono mic'd stereo <laughs> up to my mono speakered television and putting uh, tapes together. The music because the music was all great, uh, but that meant that they had both dialogue and sound effects in them. So because of how much I watched the anime, because of how much I listened to the music from those shows back then when I listen to the actual music now, my brain inserts phantom dialogue and sound effects in the middle of songs. And I, I find that uh, hilarious, just how deeply embedded uh, that particular era is on me. Even, even now, low, many goddamn... Oh my God, that's 30... That's way too many years later. <laughs> I don't know exactly when I would have watched the first one. I like to think that it, you know, I would have started my freshman year in late 89. I'd like to think that I watched the first one before it became 1990. I may be deluding myself on that. I may not have made the, the friend and had that before then, but I, I like to clutch to that uh, last bit of I started in the 80s. Uh, the, the, <laughs> barely barely counts <laughs> and in the end it always matters more what you're consuming what era the work was from rather than when chronologically you started watching but but still the orange road fan in me wants that 80s tie so there we go so all right i guess it's my turn to share my the very beginning sure what what stuck your foot in the door? So, alright. So, my very, very first introduction to anime. Basically, my first introduction to anime, the very first time I watched anything from Japan and absolutely knew 100% for certain that I was watching something <laughs> from Japan and Me it too. was anime. <laughs> the very first time that happened was when I was 12 or 13, somewhere in that range. I think I was around 6th to 7th grade. Up until 
that point, I had heard about anime, but I d had never really seen it. Um, all I knew about it was this reputation that it was so much more dramatic and so much just more adult, I want to say, than what I was watching on American television. So there was like this mythical, this mythical glow around it. <clears throat> uh, you know, I just for some reason had it in my head that anime was better, and I needed to see it so that I could confirm this. So one day, while in while looking through the junk mail that came through our mailbox one day uh i came across a video mail order service a vhs mail order service that was offering an anime sampler that contained project echo and record of lotus war nice not all of record of lotus war because it was right. a vhs tape but enough of it so i remember i begged my parents <laughs> to get this for me i pleaded i was just dead set on i need to see this and they relented and they got it for me and as soon as it arrived in the mail i was ripping off the packaging i was shoving it into vhs player and i was for the next like two or three hours i was just enthralled with what I was seeing. Uh, Project Aiko was my very first pair of anime titties. <laughs> and that alone was, I was just like, oh my goodness. They show this? This <laughs> is amazing. And so Project Aiko made me laugh my ass off. Record of Lotus War was like, amazing high fantasy i did i wasn't even that big of a fan of high fantasy but record of lotus war pulled me in and i remember begging my parents more that i was like okay i've had a taste of this i want more please mm. get me more and at that point they refused they're like yeah no we don't think so they, they saw so, the titties, huh? I guess so. I guess so. But yeah, which is ironic since they were letting me watch R-rated movies since I was very young. But suddenly a pair, an animated pair of titties was going too far, apparently. Uh, but anyways, so I got to... that. I got through that sampler... And I held on to it. I watched it as often as I could. Uh, but it wasn't until high school that I got to have my next taste of anime. Uh, and that would be through a friend of mine who was super into anime at the time. Uh, she was getting her hands on various things. And she introduced me to a couple of additional series. She introduced me to Digi Carrot, hmm. 
which she introduced to me as basically the Japanese equivalent to Looney Tunes, which, yeah, 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 not really, but, you know, we were in <laughs> high school. Quite, but... Uh, yeah, we were in high school at the, the time, so... The language it, wasn't well developed. Yeah, yeah. So we watched that, and then she introduced me to Sailor Moon. And I got into Sailor Moon around the S series, which is the introduction of the Outer Scouts. And yeah, from then on, I was, she introduced me to Toonami on the afternoon, the afternoon version of Toonami. And from there, it just snowballed. I was watching, I was rushing home from school every day so that I could watch the trio of Sailor Moon, Rurouni Kenshin, and Yu Yu Hakusho. And it just snowballed from there uh, until it became a full-blown obsession a couple of years later. But we'll get into that a little bit later on, I think. So uh, what, basically, once you met Sailor Neptune, there was no looking back. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Sailor Neptune, I think, was my first anime crush. I, I want to say, so it might have been someone else. Deeplet <laughs> may have made a play for that, but again, I was 12 or 13 at the time. So, <laughs> right. uh, yeah, so, you know, not really quite thinking of the characters in that way yet. Uh, but yeah, Neptune, I think, was my first like genuine anime crush. Uh, just to wrap up, back around to the beginning because i i think that's sort of an interesting difference between us i would i would say at that point you know i knew the general concept that robotech was built off of japanese series i don't i don't recall if i knew they were put they were different shows put together i think so because the visual style was a lot different between them, even uh -huh. like in in that intro. And of course, I knew at that point that earlier shows, which I, I couldn't have, you know, to told you the difference between Speed Racer and uh, the Flintstones when I was four. <laughs> but at that point, I would have known about that. But I, I don't think I really had you know prior to actually witnessing something like bubblegum crisis i don't think i had any semblance of like a reputation or knowing this was higher quality this was more mature this was unlike anything i would obviously get there very quickly but it hadn't even really occurred to me uh even though you you got bits of that of course with robotech with macross uh, so I'm sort of curious, do you remember at this point how that might have filtered in? Were, were there things you were seeing in a blockbuster on the shelf? Were people talking about them? Or, like, that? I don't know what year, uh, this was and, you know, who your friends were or what kind of communication was going on at the time. I'm curious because you said that like you had a you felt that there was this importance behind it prior to seeking it out actively. So I'm wondering if you recall 
how that congealed. I honestly could not tell you. Just for as long as I could remember, I just knew about the concept of anime. <laughs> but, and I knew that, and I had heard from somewhere, somewhere along the way, that it was more mature cartoons. And that idea fascinated me because while I wasn't, I wouldn't say that I was like advanced in any way, I was kind of a mature child. I didn't really, you know, I didn't have the elements where I was you know, believing fictional characters were real. I never had that. Mm. I always knew for as long as I could remember, you know, I could tell the difference between fiction and reality. Um, we should teach that to some people these days. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I always knew, but, so, I don't know where in my life I picked up this idea that anime was just somehow better in whatever way. I just had heard about it, and I just always remember that it had this, like, mythical reputation. But I don't know where I got that from. Some some kind of Socratic ideal. It, uh, you, you heard it floating around from kids playing basketball on the playground, and it just, uh, sat (laughs) in your hind brain and that this is a thing i need it (laughs) yeah i think so i think i just heard it from somewhere along the way and it just implanted itself in my head okay yeah i was more curious because a lot of times i try to remember things and the the funny thing is at this point i would have been you know online to the extent that you could be for years at this point uh Mm -hmm. when i i think i started in like 86 going to bulletin boards and contributing in chat rooms and uh and stuff like that and learning to abuse emoticons from a very early age uh <laughs> so i'm Some a little surprised <laughs> exactly i'm a little surprised that anime didn't leak in there but it was really you know on it was really on message boards and there is a lot more like fantasy and other stuff even when we were doing story threads or mm-hmm. just general chatting uh i was much more into role-playing games uh you know pen pencil and paper so uh, Star Frontiers was my uh, first one when I was stupid young. Uh, D&D, obviously. A bunch of other things. But I even got into uh, Middle Earth role-playing and Rollmaster when I was still in middle school, playing with high schoolers and run by run by a 30-year-old adult at that point. Which, you know, from the perspective of being a... Uh, uh, what is it? A... Uh, a middle schooler was a little weird, but I had been basically chatting with these guys for years. It's one of those things that made the the internet just feel at home for me because 
I didn't know how old people were. Everyone had, you know, nicknames usually from fantasy. So uh, I would chat with Stormbringer. I would run around with Handle Silver Surfer because that was my first comic. So I wore that as my BBS moniker. <laughs> so I was I was doing a whole lot of stuff, but I would use bulletin boards later after I had acclimated to anime to seek out anime related stuff somehow even that which i feel would have been a perfect avenue to bringing it in hadn't leaked in it was really just you know the one guy happened to and you know i met him to find a comic shop and uh he was uh, you know he would introduce me to games workshop tabletop uh stuff with a few other friends uh we would play the palladium rollmaster rpgs with uh with that group so he just happened to be into anime and i was i think the first you know underclassman he could uh successfully corrupt with this so <laughs> <laughs> so it, it turned into that but i i hadn't been seeking it out and it hadn't really permeated it until it was like here's your tape go go to town and to town I went. So, alright. Okay, so we've talked about our very, very beginnings and how we first got introduced. Let's go just a little bit further. When did you know that you were probably either already or were going to be a hardcore anime fan? It, I mean, it feels pretty much instantly for me yeah yeah uh i don't think you can watch and rewatch raw anime on two or three <laughs> vhs tapes over and over and like i said record the music to uh play it i would i would time code i mean this would take a little bit uh further down but i'd have the song over the top from the dirty pair movie uh that i would play at the top of a ski slope uh, with the uh, ski club I was with, and I, I managed to figure out basically how to time it well enough that I would hit the very end and uh, and one of the little mogul jumps right at the, uh, at the bottom of the slope uh, by the time the song was ending. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically it, it hit me like an uh, isekai-causing truck right, pretty much right from tape one. And uh, I was so deep into it that I have a feeling that's one of the reasons why it just never let go. I did have a period of time of not watching, but it was only for a couple years and it was separately attached. We will probably get into that later. But, you know, there, there was the possibility that I would have, you know, not kept at it all that much but that was literally you know 12 years down the line uh <laughs> in the in the beginning and for years you know I was pursuing it by myself then I had a bunch of friends to share it with and it uh it started huge and it continued uh and it it's evolved obviously here and there but uh I I had no uh illusions that that it was not going to be a a pretty huge 
formative thing for me at that point. For me, like I mentioned before, you know, I got my first taste in my early teen, late, my preteen, early teen years. That was my first taste. And then I got a little bit more of a taste in high school, but I didn't super get into it in high school. High school was when I was dipping more than my toe in i was dipping probably my entire foot in <laughs> but i wasn't like hardcore into it yet what changed for me and what ended up making all the difference was back in the day when netflix arrived in the mail <laughs> and i discovered while browsing around on my father's account that they had an anime section and they had back then a vast anime selection they had dvds of the most obscure stuff stuff that i had no idea existed and from that's when it took hold of me I had all the selection I could ever want at my fingertips, and that was enough to just push me headfirst in. Uh, I dove in, I watched Princess Nine and Soccer Wars <laughs> almost right away. They they weren't my... The first couple of series that I watched on Netflix weren't great. I was watching things like Soccer Diaries and you know, little things like that. But yeah, Princess Nine and Soccer Wars, when I picked those up off of Netflix, that was it. The club had hit me in the head. I was seeing little stars and birdies and I never wanted to emerge from that. I just consumed and consumed and consumed. And that was, yeah, that was when I, that was my point of no return. Gotcha open open ended so you didn't uh i feel like we should uh you know sink the years in some fashion i was going to say that uh you i guess didn't have a like blockbuster rental phase and uh, renting through netflix but if it it was already that late then uh you know that's a that's a number of years in where that becomes the route. Do do you recall what year that would have been then? Uh let me see. I was when I was twelve or thirteen, that would be around the mid nineties, so around ninety-four, ninety-five-ish. Um, maybe maybe a little bit earlier than that, but I wanna say early to mid nineties is when I got that first taste. Uh I entered high school around 98 99 and that was when i got a little bit more of a taste and then netflix i believe i that took hold of me i want to say around 2001 ish okay so that yeah so yeah. that's pr that's pretty much the timeline there so that's that's interesting as well because that that's another point of 
you know, I'm, I'm not even sure if it's uh, comparing availability or personality types or other things that that seems like you liked a number of things, but it didn't sink deep until basically your availability got huge because you had a you had an era where you were just following uh, broadcast stuff. Uh, you had, I, I assume, very minimal that you could get a hold of otherwise with with tapes or maybe watching with friends in uh in high school uh i feel like when i started i would have gone in as deep as possible and my only restriction was i had to give my friend tapes and occasionally he would give things back to me <laughs> and then uh and then i would have more to watch and i would rewatch it but uh literally i feel like if you had just dumped a truck full of it in front of me i would have uh gone gone straight in uh i'm trying to remember if i'm gonna catch up my calendar and i don't i don't know if we want to do things by uh by merit of like are we gonna are we going to tie our stories to the calendar year or like uh, pin them to years from uh, from when you picked it up first? Or uh, I guess just to uh, to carry forward from from my end during high school, I basically just got tapes from uh, my friend Tim and uh I don't recall if I found anything out in the field. And this was the era where, you know, first of all, my allowance may have been 10 bucks uh, a week, if that, and a single subtitled anime tape of two to four episodes would have been like $45. So uh, I was not going to Suncoast Video and uh, and feeding my addiction here, so... <laughs> I, I just used it to, uh, you know, to to uh, buy tapes and get stuff from. I guess I was still buying a lot of, you know, other novels and things. Uh, Dragonlance. I was still a big fantasy buff. If there's one thing that I'll give anime almost specifically, it was widening out my uh, general sci-fi appreciation because so much from that day was literally all just sci-fi stuff uh certainly not just mecca but uh a whole bunch of of interesting things um after after high school was over we still kept up because they were around town and uh in fact because i kept up with him i ended up going to a con that he was staffing at so in fact, my my first convention was in 1995. It was uh, Anime East 95, the only Jersey con at the time, and uh, one one of the few New Jersey cons, uh, uh, anime specific cons uh, since. I think I think that was its second year, and then it disappeared after that. So that was that was funny. Uh, but it would introduce me to a a bunch of new types of merch and other things uh i would acquire you know from other people around they were dumping they'd go to their con and meet someone and dump their uh anime out there 
But uh, if I were thinking about it, like I start when I started in college as well and picked up other friends, they were not of the anime sort. Uh, they were of other gaming, like role playing games, role master, and more specifically, uh, Magic the Gathering, which I picked up to a gigantic degree uh, at that point. So I was playing a lot of other games with people, and anime was still around, but it was kind of in the background until I met a few more people, some of them through Anime East 95, uh, and through a a friend... God, I forget how how it went out. There was, there was a friend who lived a few towns over who knew uh, another friend who I was... Uh, closer within town who we played magic with and through him I met a bunch of other people uh, who are the ones I've actually kept up with over time and it, that group turned into just a big pile of nerd gaming stuff we'd do World of Darkness we'd do Magic the Gathering we'd play computer games we would do a lot of fighting games and we started doing a whole bunch of uh uh, anime watching going into Chinatown to get uh, you know at that point fan subbed anime in Chinatown was you know five dollars a tape less if you bought a whole pile of them so we would every month or so we'd go in and we'd come back with a, a crap ton of things I'd buy a lot of music CDs, uh, J-pop and, and anime related, we'd get a bunch of tapes. We'd hang out at someone's house for a weekend. We would consume everything and then uh, uh, go go back and repeat that process as often as we could. Hmm. We'd sort of trade off whose turn it was to buy the next pack of, uh, of tapes at that point. So uh, I went from a bunch of years of only watching pretty much only watching raw anime to going to a con to leaping through gaming to a group of friends who we did a crap ton of anime watching with almost entirely as a group. And that's where we picked up things like uh, Kenshin uh, from Gun That age kind of started and we'd, uh, you know, someone would collect all of Gundam Wing. I I'd collect all of Kenshin, someone else got all of Flame of Rekka. <laughs> we, we would just go through series and uh, and pick them up and I, I still have like a refrigerator box sized box of VHS tapes with uh, with all of this stuff, which is not doing anything but I, again, it's one of those things where it represents an era that I don't want to uh, toss aside. They're an era of physicality which is pretty useless at this point <laughs> but uh but but entertaining so by my availability like my ability to go deep just kept increasing with my ability to get to more stuff uh and most of that was just logistics of the era there i would watch some things uh on television but not a lot i f i think i watched broadcast sailor moon probably more <laughs> than any of the other shows at the time I would have beat at, beaten out th things like Kenshin just because we were getting the fan subs so we were getting them from Japan quicker at the very least but uh, with with 
uh, Japanese commercials, which was great. It was literally people recording off broadcast, and uh, the fan suburbs would leave the commercials in, which is another interesting thing that you don't get from the uh, from the era and from all of the legal releases. You obviously never get to see Japanese commercials. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's kind of another fascinating thing about going in through the uh, through the fan sub angle because for them to go as fast as possible, and you know they they were obviously not really making money on any of this, so they weren't going to edit everything out. And frankly, they probably thought that was a bunch of extra appeal, and would leave them in on purpose. They would just translate everything else. I don't think they translated the commercials except on uh, on occasion. But uh, so in the middle of all of that as well was the phase of go to Blockbuster and look at the anime section and watch it go from one side of one shelf to expanding to a bunch of them. So they were were sort of witnessing the popularity of anime for a hot minute in how much of it was available uh, in Blockbuster and how much of it was behind their adult door because they would you know, collect a bunch of hentai as well. Yeah, yeah. Which was pretty uh, pretty hilarious. And the comic shop that I would go to, we would rent uh, anime from him all the time. And because he had a bunch of us doing it, he would pick he would pick up the stuff you wouldn't find at Blockbuster. Like, you know, Blockbuster would obviously have your Akira's and your Fist of the North Stars and your Legend of the Overfiends and your Dragon Balls and all of the very, the most popular stuff. And they did have other things they would uh, they would experiment with, but you know I don't I don't think your Tenchi Muyos ended up there right away. Uh, Udusei Atsura also didn't, but uh, as soon as Animego started doing a bunch of stuff, you know the the comic guy would basically get a tape in to start renting to uh, to his uh, clientele, a lot of whom got the uh, anime bug bit kind of deep. So there was a lot of renting going on as well, which also meant you owned multiple VCRs. And of course, of course you stole. Yes, yes. You'd get money the once and then we'd have a permanent copy of it. That's that's what you (laughs) did. Thankfully, anime has solved the piracy problem since then. Uh, But because we had the other crowd then in the late 90s as well, we were still going in and out of the city, but we also started hitting other cons. We would hit a bunch of gaming conventions, and then we also sought out larger anime conventions. And so uh, we went to uh, Katsukon and, and, and Otakon when they were still in the, what the hell, the Huntsville Marriott in Virginia, something like that. So like, Mm-hmm. 97, 98, 99 became big continuing to seek out anime con stuff. Uh, so that uh, that kept up and I kept with Otakon for a while and started staffing there as well. So that was that was leading me in and around. And uh, it it's interesting to see, you know, what I'm compressing into this window. Uh, compared to your timeline where 
you started later, but I, I think a lot of it feels like, you know, it didn't, it didn't spin up seriously until, as you stated, you could start getting freely whatever the hell you wanted on Netflix. So from when you, from when you got to that point, how did you, in what ways did you start branching outwards? Because obviously I got to know you from, you know, your, your journalism and other stuff. So when you, when you got deep into watching, you know, where, where did that start to, to go in for, for any of the other activities, whether it be ongoing or, or otherwise? So for me, branching out, uh, I, like I mentioned, I had, so the start of my writing career is actually directly tied into me diving into anime. Uh, basically, at the time, I was just getting my feet wet with writing online. I was writing for a consumer opinion website called ePinions, which no longer exists. I remember that. Yeah, I wrote for them. Uh, I was looking around on that website and I was writing little little reviews here and there of various things that I had. And I was, like I said, getting my feet wet, learning how to write, how to write reviews. And I noticed that they didn't have that many anime reviews on that website. And I thought that was a niche that I could fill. So I started writing anime reviews, and this was back in the day of, you know, much like the VHS tapes of only having three or four episodes for 45 bucks, I was getting two or three anime episodes per DVD for about 30 bucks. Um, that was, so that was the stuff, but once I discovered that Netflix had an anime section and I could just rent, you know, anime DVDs and consume them to my heart's content. Uh, I started writing reviews about them much more frequently. And eventually I kind of became the anime guy on that website. In terms of branching out to like conventions and stuff like that, I basically kind of kept to myself for the first two or three years that I was watching and reviewing anime. I wasn't really, social media wasn't really a thing. So, you know, it was kind of, it was, I it was hard. I wasn't like sharing my reviews out there with the world. I was just publishing them and calling it a day. Many of them were very bad. Um, <laughs> many of them were terrible, uh, but that's okay. Because like I said, I was still kind of learning. Uh, it was 2005 when I opened my first website and I took all those reviews that I had written for ePinions and I published them on my own website. And that's where I also decided that I wanted to kind of make this 
steps into a regular thing. I wanted to make a living at writing anime reviews, which at the time I had no idea that this was not a viable career path. <laughs> uh, but I stuck with it and I, I was looking up, you know, tips on how to increase readership and I saw, oh, you should post every single day. Don't know where I saw this advice, but I took it to heart. So that's when I started getting into anime journalism as well, and on top of my reviews. Uh, again, my early news articles were absolutely terrible. I knew absolutely nothing about journalism, but it became a regular thing for me to the point where it was I was obsessed with it. And yeah, it was, but for those first three or four years, I just stuck at home, watched anime on DVD. I didn't really talk to very many people about it besides on the very first anime message board I joined was the old anime on DVD.com board. Hmm. That was my very first one. And I remember being on there for a little while before I opened my website uh in 2005 and i remember that clearly because i actually wrote a message to chris beverage at the time and i'm like hey i want to open my own website and advertise it in the signature of my of my message board but you know i don't want to compete with you so <laughs> you know is this cool and he's like yeah whatever you know it's fine so yeah so that was kind of the start of me branching out. Uh, my very first convention that I went for an entire weekend was SakuraCon in, I want to say, 2007, I want to say. I'm not 100% about that. But that was the first convention I went to for an entire weekend. And I loved it. I enjoyed every bit of it. And yeah, that hooked and that hooked me in even more. Uh, but yeah, in terms of like branching out in other ways, though, and this is actually a question I'm going to turn back on you here in just a moment. Oh, my God. I didn't really get into the fandom all that much. I didn't. um like write fan fiction i didn't cosplay i didn't get into that all that much i got i kind of dove more into the industry side as quickly as possible rather than the creative creative fan side because like i said back in that time i was um doing journalism really poor journalism i was doing reviews and that was kind of that was kind of my way of branching out and getting involved but the question that i want to turn back on to you though is how deep into the fandom were you getting because you were mentioning that you were doing tape trades and you were going to conventions and seeking out other series that you could watch 
did you get into like the creative fan side did you like write fan fiction did you do cosplay did you get into that side of it like early on or even ever <laughs> yes it's gonna come down to what you might consider you know the uh fandom community the creative side uh so let's see. As far as anything communal would have gone, my actual first exposures would have been uh, wasting a whole lot of time uh, at the uh, computer centers at my college. <laughs> because you had the nascent internet, you had your nice permanently co connected Solaris computers, and you'd go to you had the, the first graphical web browser mosaic came out and I could hunt down pictures of uh, Ayukawa and other things. Uh, and also you could find people out there. You could find certain sites like, uh, I don't know if you have much familiarity with what, what are called MUDs, multi-user done. Yeah, yeah, I got, in, I got into MUDs on text-based computers at the library. Right. So the yeah. the MUDs, the MUCs, the MUSES, the, I like the, the MUSH acronym most because that one was for multi-user shared hallucination, and I thought that was hmm. the uh, best one. But they... Uh, I, I was spending a lot of time doing that. So there is a bit of communal and creative stuff there because I would go to, let's say, a place and I would just role play with people uh, inside the, the muds. It, it wasn't, of course, always about going there and, and beating up monsters. I preferred the social ones. Uh, it was a lot less different from what I was used to when BBSing, which was a lot of message boards or chatting with a person who happened to be online because I like live chatting with with people at that point, just having a weird text-based conversation. Uh, so you'd find an anime muck and what it tended to have were people who were just programming their own, you know, descriptive communities. They would create something uh, for you to, uh, uh, what is it, to, to just enjoy and wander around in as if you were exploring, like, an Infocom game. There wasn't anything much to do other than explore, because <laughs> either you couldn't do or I wasn't uh, competent enough to put, you know, tasks and other things into it at that point, but it would be like, okay, let me let me connect uh, Abakabu uh, the cafe from Orange Road to this section of town. And then if someone happens to go into this supply closet, they'll find this handle and it'll open up and it'll take them down an elevator ride. And I, I was like attaching Megazone 2-3 to the basement of, uh, of Akaba. Uh, so <laughs> there, there was weird stuff like that, but it, it wasn't, much of a community I knew these people even less than normal because they would come and go and a lot of times they wouldn't even have the same names I wouldn't be able to identify everyone necessarily so it was still a lot of me singly doing stuff it was just a wider amount of it 
like I could search out new works. I discovered Hitoshi Doi's anime uh, Seiyu database, and I would discover who played roles I liked and what other anime there was, and I'd search that search that out. I'd go to the anime web turnpike and I'd find people's blogs and fan blogs and other stuff. Uh, but it wasn't, it was a part of the nascent internet community, but it wasn't like a, a social thing. Uh, when I did, <clears throat> when I did start going to cons because I started my first con staffing and I went to other cons and I would gopher at them to a level that I would get things comped and paid for because still being a rather poor bastard, uh, <laughs> it was the kind of, it was what I could do to be useful. And it was interesting to spend time like being the bag check uh, people at, at Katsukon or whatever. A friend and I would, uh, would do something we'd make up our own system we got very efficient at it we were just playing my cds the whole time uh nearby but in the meanwhile you you know you would get your uh, membership paid off uh, depending on who you are and how you were doing it sometimes rooms were were comped and all of that was very important because gas was expensive and you wanted to waste every last bit of uh remaining cash in the dealer's room or one of the uh, side rooms where people were were selling uh, uh, bootleg stuff. So a lot of the, uh, even while I was going to cons, a lot of the uh, things you would normally think of as communal activities, cosplaying, I did not get into, uh, I didn't get into, you know, writing or, or ficking or, paneling or anything even even in the uh amateur end of doing that kind of stuff one of the unique communities i did become a part of was i got into a lot of uh at cons i would go visit the uh the art show and supporting artists out there but more than that, I would go to the art auctions where people had put up artwork and folks would bid on them. And then you'd have a big uh, uh, bidding war at some point at the end if uh, enough attention was was on it. But I used to uh, I used to go to these and search out uh, certain things and try to find the right stuff and hit them in the right way. I was I was doing eBay tricks at uh <laughs> anime <laughs> art auctions rather before there was much of an ebay to speak of i i would develop you know i would i would chat with some of the artists one of them i got to be decent friends with he gave me a sketchbook which i didn't use to sketch because uh, i do not have any kind of hand-eye coordination that's in service of the creative visual arts uh but I would I would use to uh, try to get sketches from some of the Japanese guests. And there were a few of us who did that kind of thing. So we had sort of a mini collection of us who were always seeking out autographs and uh, and panels of the uh, of the Japanese guests. Uh, I would occasionally grab parts of their artwork. I I would develop a uh, you know a taste for particular works from certain artists, and then I would. Uh, 
basically make requests for them to bring things to the next con, which I would then <laughs> go for. Uh, some it's interesting to see what's happened to to certain people because uh, I assume you know Yaya Han uh, as yeah, far yeah. as uh, right a, a weeb personality at this point. Well, before she was doing anything in the cosplayer uh, and uh, anything else back in the uh, back in the day, it, she just had a certain style of uh, art show stuff that I happened to like, and uh, was one of those people who was doing very well in the on the uh, art show floor and in the art auction. So it was interesting when the like she stopped doing any of that stuff and i was like oh but <laughs> she obviously she went in another direction which proved to be much more lucrative and uh one cannot hardly blame but uh so there there are certain connections with uh with folks that you'd make at the at the cons it's a, it's a different sort of quasi social thing just not creative from from my end uh there are a few personalities that we'd get to know at uh at art auctions where there'd be some rich bastards and the crowd would work against them because they'd just keep not overbidding but they would keep beating other people <laughs> to get mm -hmm. to certain works and the you know it's just other people who had the remainder of their thing and he just came from his nice lucrative job and had a fat wad of cash to spend so he'd keep effectively stealing from people and then you'd have a, a nice little communist moment where other people <laughs> would add, I'll give you ten bucks and <laughs> give someone to counterbid against it. Uh, See, so you'd get into these uh, weird little things. Uh, one of the other common things that I did a lot uh was get involved with the uh, anime music video folks. And I did pick up a pinnacle card. I did have ideas and I wanted to follow through and maybe go down that line. I think that would have been my best chance of getting into something from the creative end would have been joining into what existed of, you know, the late nineties anime music video community. Cause there was uh a lot of a lot of good stuff, a lot of classic stuff between '97 and uh, and '01, but uh, I ne I never did get around or have time, especially after you have to you know get a normie job and do actual things. So it uh, became something that I I couldn't devote into, and eventually fell away from as I fell away from from cons and the hobby in general after uh, uh, in like 2001 until Haruhi brought me back in. So that was, mm -hmm. uh, you You were picking up right as I was in my uh, my uh, uh, void, my, my hiatus. Uh, I feel like the last anime that I watched was uh, Magical Shopping District of Benabashi at Otakon 01. And then I was just sort of disenthusiasted because I was still uh I was still staffing for a period of time, but 
like the things we wanted to do got ground down in the general annoying politics of doing con stuff. And mm. so I just sort of dropped from that and uh, uh, and watched a, a few things at the last one, but, you know, decided not to continue on. And that was what caused me to lose enthusiasm with uh, with anime in general, because at that point it was associated with as much of the community that I had, which was staffing at a few cons, which was, you know, the, the things that I would do uh, with a Marcho or otherwise. So once I lost that sort of connection, it detached me from anime in general, because anime still wasn't a trivial thing to keep up with on your own at that point. You didn't really have video streaming. You weren't at the, uh, you weren't at the high bandwidth ability to do it at that point. It would still go out and buy, uh, you know, expensive tapes. Uh, <laughs> the the other friends had started to split and move into other parts of the country, so there were fewer and fewer people who were around or wanted to uh, continue. And it be it became easy to just kind of let it go by and ignore it. Uh, and then I would be brought back in later, but that that's that's sort of the extent of the community uh that i would do Not, nothing much on mm -hmm. the creative side unfortunately i feel like there was lost opportunity to go into writing of of some sort because that's always been a background drive just not something that i could keep up with with uh jobs and uh and overcoming general inertia in life <laughs> I get it. Uh but I've always had the the kind of community that's reflected in you know the uh bulletin boards and other stuff uh which is how I'd get back into it later and uh discord communities that I fill with 500 channels of uh, uh of uh, anime seasonal chat. So that has for the most part stuck around and i don't see that so i'm curious when you were young and you were you know going through your early otaku phase did you have an otaku dream and what i mean by that is did you ever like dream of getting like professionally involved with anime at some point in the future, like, you know, becoming a voice actor or mm -hmm. something along those lines. Did you ever have those years where you thought, oh, I totally want to work in anime and make it my life? Uh, did you ever have those? I don't think so. Not, not on that thing. I mean, it always kind of felt like, yeah, it would be nice to work for, you know, someone in the industry that, uh, that I admired your, your anime goes or something like that. But I didn't have, you know, skills to bring into the industry that way. I didn't think about, you know, writing for, even though obviously I read magazines and other things. Uh, so I didn't have a dream and I wasn't pursuing anything. The closest I think I would get was because I was uh, 
into you know that i've been playing trumpet and and like piano since i was a tiny person and trumpet through all of my uh elementary and high school years and marching band and jazz band and choir and other stuff i always kind of wished that i had some avenue to continue music in some fashion i didn't go to school for it and i didn't really have that drive either which is i i think if i was going to do anything creatively artistically uh going into uh you know vocals would have been my my best bet if i'd pursued that after high school but uh because i was still so stuck on the music but the only thing that i that became a background dream was to find effectively some people uh uh and become you know a con-going troupe of uh, essentially uh, uh i even i even named us the otaku jukebox and basically hmm. get invited to cons travel to them be guests take up residence in whatever cafes they had and be part of the uh you know there, there'd be a lot of karaoke stuff going on but put do performances hang out at certain times take requests from people play play sets of anime music with a uh, small group of uh, uh friends and folk and just become uh, uh you know a a wandering troop of troubadours uh so if i if i were having a weird crazy dream of some sort that uh that was the extent of mine which would be uh find a bunch of people to uh continue doing some stuff musically and uh otaku adjacent with and uh i mean that technically if we made money on it we would have been professionals so there you go I also went through a very short phase of wanting to create an anime band. Um, I got as far as recruiting people, (laughs) but never got much further than that. And it was just one of those dreams that kind of just faded away after a while. Um, I also went through a short period where I was dead set on moving to Texas and becoming an anime voice actor. Uh, I came very close to doing that, actually. Uh, It ended up not working out, thank the gods. (laughs) Um, So, you know, little things like that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I had my biggest otaku dream, though, and this was the big one for me was i was convinced that all i had needed to do was get some money together travel to tokyo and then i would be discovered and i would be turned into the next you know flavor of the month idol there you go that was that that that's a more unique dream yeah, that was my big one. Is that I wanted to go to Japan and I wanted to become an and I wanted to be discovered and turned into an idol. So, so that which, was the which, big. Which anime had you watched that uh, solidified this dream here with you? Where it's uh, 
you know love live around yet or uh... no love live was not around yet (laughs) uh i honestly do not remember what anime put this idea in my head uh it could have it could have been damn near anything but yeah for a while there i was just like yeah you know what i want to become a japanese celebrity I mean, there there was an Orange Road episode where Hikaru gets discovered on the street, but that that was a modeling gig, uh, mm. and I also know for sure you didn't watch that until uh, yes. just recently. Uh, yes, uh, it fe- <laughs> it's hilarious how much that feels like a a meme, but that I'm thinking, wait a minute, <laughs> would it have been at that time? How did it uh, sink in? I suppose if you're going to dream big, though, that's... that's Yeah, yeah, so that was my... that Like I said, I had little otaku dreams along the way, you know, but yeah, the big one was I wanted to get discovered in Japan and become a big star there. Um, But yeah, in terms of dreams that did come true was when I started my website, I was bound and determined to get my foot in the door that was the whole reason for me launching the website in the to begin with was i wanted to get my foot in the door of the industry and it took me a couple of years but i finally got there so you know yay for that (laughs) now did that create something that got you noticed that they reached out for or was it more like that simply became your portfolio and as you spoke to people or reached out to people or uh, in the industry looking for writing talent, you had probably a lot more of a, of a thing to point at where someone could just go in and, you know, view your, your writing style. I'm wondering yeah, whether or not, um, like, did the site itself do something or, or was it just at least showing enough? determination that uh opened the door further at uh, certain sites uh yeah it opened the door for me widely because it a showed off my writing style at the time uh it also showed off my dedication to how driven i was for this uh my very first like professional writing job was for a website called ani.may um that was my first professional writing job and i remember i really impressed the my boss at the time with how dedicated i was with i was since i was posting pretty much every day while still balancing a job um and yeah that was really that was an impressive feat especially back then uh but yeah and that got me my first professional writing job and i kept it i kept that website open for years afterwards until it eventually came down in like oh i want to say in the late uh 2010s um so yeah but i kept that website open and it was my you know badge of honor my portfolio whatever you want to call it but yeah that that well, was like open opened a lot of doors for me at a certain point of course you could just link to other sites that were still running and kept things up 
Any dot may mm. does still exist. I'm curious if I could still find your reviews on it, though. I doubt it <laughs> uh, for various reasons, uh, none of which I want to go into on the air. Right. Uh, but yeah, no. Spill uh, the dirt. If you, if you really wanted to go back and read my like early writings from that era, you'd have to use the Wayback Machine. Ah, I see. Yeah. Now, I ran across you, of course, uh, when you were with J- J- Japanator? Jap- Japanator, J- yeah. Japanator. <laughs> uh, how, how far down the road was that for you as far as popping between sites and... Uh... Uh, Japanator was my second... Oh. professional job i had worked for ani.may for about three to four years at that point uh and things were starting to go sour uh so that's when i started looking for additional work and japanator uh was kind enough to accept me and i only worked for them for about three to six months i think gotcha. it was a very short time uh, but I made some, but yeah, I made some, that was, the. I think Japanator was the job that got me a little more noticed, uh, because it was a larger website than what I was working for before. Um, so yeah, I think Japanator got me a little more noticed. That was about, like I said... I want to say 2013, 2014. So I had been writing for about 10 years. But yeah, Japanator was my like my second really like professional job. The amusing thing, and that, well, they, I mean, you might have to, uh, 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 what is it, to, to recall just when we would have done the episode because of course you started uh, the, the only creative thing that I guess I can uh, say I really contributed to now, which is uh, podcasting. But I suspect that would have been your break into doing any podcasting of any sort at that point, right? With uh, the couple of shows that were with JTOR AM. Yeah, JTOR AM was the first regular podcast that I participated in. Uh, Again, I think that helped get me noticed a little bit more uh, because we didn't, we had, we had a podcast on Ani.May. It wasn't very good (laughs) because I wasn't interested in doing audio editing back then. Uh, so it was just a, we would record something for a couple of hours. I would not even go through to sync it or edit it or anything. I'd just post it and call it, call it a day. Uh, JTOR AM was the first really like professional production, regular production that I was a part of. And that was, again, that was a lot of fun. And that's what prompted me to start launching my own podcasts a little more seriously and taking them and trying to do them a little more regularly. 
Uh, it wasn't until you and I started podcasting regularly a couple of years ago, though, that it really stuck. So, but the the reason that I I mean, there's more than one reason to bring it up, but the reason I was bringing that up specifically was uh, there was a time code. If you if you can remember how much longer it ran for after the uh, the episode that uh, you had me on as a random guest. I can time code that for you because I remember what we were chatting about, uh, you know, in the, in the broadcast times at that point. It would have been very, very early in your lie in April, episode six, as I recall, had just broadcast. So therefore it was in November of 2014. So if you remember okay. how long you'd been doing it up till then, <laughs> or how much how much more it, it took before it fell apart, you uh, th- then you can uh, drill in and determine exactly what was uh, what was going on there. Uh, I I do recall that JTOR AM uh, show, the one where you guys basically chatted about the new episodes weekly, whichever ones you're interested in keeping up with. That, uh-huh. was, that was where I first heard about Space Brothers. And uh, and it uh, it certainly got me interested in it. There was little chance that I wasn't going to run across it at some point, but definitely it, it keyed me in, for which I am, of course, fairly grateful, because it is the greatest uh, uh, show uh, in uh, humanity. So... <laughs> I mean, what? But you, I think you were trying to uh, squeeze out of the little gray cells just how uh, how much longer it might have run after that point. Yeah, I honestly, those years kind of blend together a little bit, so I'm not entirely sure about the timestamps there. <laughs> uh, what kind of a shakeup went on? there because it felt like a, a bunch of you were were let go at the same time was it just uh general site not doing too well or were they acquired by someone uh if i recall correctly and japan and tour doesn't really exist anymore so i don't think it's a big deal for me to talk about this <laughs> right um at the time it was uh, if I recall correctly, it was budget cuts. Mm. Uh, it was just a lot of... A, uh, my time at Japanator was basically an internship. I didn't make hardly any, if any, money from Japanator. Um, I was supposed to. Eventually, I was going to be brought on as paid staff, but unfortunately, that just ended up not working out. Uh, and due to budget cuts, a bunch of us decided to leave at the same time, including myself. Gotcha. Uh, so yeah, but I still loved my time at Japanator. It was a really fantastic learning experience for me, and I'm still good friends with people that I worked with there. So yeah, definitely it was... It was a rough patch, but it was definitely one of it was one of the funner jobs that I've had in my career. That was a uh, destructoid own thing, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Did uh, 
did you ever end up doing anything for the the home brand in the future or uh... no i didn't after i left there i went on i went back to my own website for a little while and then i went on and i've worked a number of jobs since then for various websites i've bounced around quite a bit over my career yeah. uh but no i never worked for any of the other destructoid network websites uh i'm trying to remember now what when when and how were you doing con related press stuff or was that really you would keep an eye on the press and make make articles you would you would do the journalism bit but you weren't at con doing it or uh or or was there i'm i'm trying to remember uh how how your professional con interaction went uh i started going to cons out on a professional level around 2007 2008 i had been working my own website for you know a couple of years at that point uh had gathered up some reviews and was you know leaving business cards and flyers around soccer con uh i didn't go to many cons beyond soccer con for a while it wasn't until i was working for ani.may that I was given a travel budget and I was able to travel to uh, many more cons around the West Coast. Uh, I think my record is I attended five cons in one year once, mm. uh, which was fun back when I was in my 20s and I had energy. <laughs> uh these days if i tried to do five cons in one year my body would kill me yeah. uh but yeah but that was and then that was getting my experience of working professionally at cons um i had a blast doing that i still love covering conventions it's a really big adrenaline rush for me um but yeah, no, especially I was... these last two years where the cons have. Oh wait. <laughs> but yeah, no, I started working cons professionally around two thousand seven, two thousand eight. I want to say, and yeah, I've been attending as regularly as I can ever since. I still write convention reports. Uh whenever impossible even the virtual conventions i've written about anime lockdown a couple of times mm. um i wrote about kumori con in portland oregon this past november uh so yeah i mean i've been hitting cons professionally as much as i can uh i didn't get into paneling early on i was so busy covering industry panels that i didn't have time or the effort or energy to put together convention panels but that's become something a little more um frequent for me i enjoy doing panels now uh i've built up enough knowledge in my head that i feel like <laughs> i can share it with people and and have it actually be interesting yeah that it it's interesting because you're saying when you started going to cons from a press angle that's that's kind of when i started going back to cons which was only shortly after i started watching anime again 
uh-huh. uh, which which times fairly well with uh, the melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya. Uh, yeah, one of my friends who it it took a while, but I hooked back up with him. It, in fact, is one of my oldest friends. We uh, went to preschool at our temple together, so I've technically known him since we were four. Uh, <laughs> and uh we we went up through high school together although at the time i don't he was not uh he did not pick up any of the uh anime related stuff he would get into that later through another angle and a duffel bag filled with uh ranma one half which we uh picked up from uh from anime east but uh <clears throat> So I was on a message board with him and he would start feeding certain things back in. I hadn't really been keeping track, but the the fact that he pirates anime religiously and has apparently <laughs> since 05, uh, <laughs> he, he would just lay out links to here. Here's how to watch this show. And I'm like, OK, well, there's there's no problem with me clicking on this uh, this link here. And so my re-entry was with uh, Bludgeoning Angel Dokudochan, hmm. which was an amusing re-entry. But, yes. uh, and you know, that was fun, but it, it's ultimately fairly inconsequential. It's a, it's goofy. But uh, the the thing that basically made me remember fully, as it were, was, uh, was the melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya, which he was dropping as it was broadcasting. So it was in broadcast order, basically as fast as fan subbers could make a version available. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that really stuck with me because the, the first episode and what it represents, the fact that it was out of ordering and being all, all weird uh, that, uh, that dug its talons back in. And shortly after that, I had a friend who out of nowhere said, hey, you want to go to Otakon? And that was odd because I hadn't really gone conning with this guy too much. I know he'd been to at least one or two back in the day, but he wasn't really in an anime conning crowd back from the late 90s uh, through 01. But uh, he was with an artist and she was a con going like hit every possible con in the area sort so uh for in 2007 i started going back to cons just because they already were and i could just sit in the van with them while they were going to a convention hang out uh help pay for rooms and do other stuff so i hung out at the cons that they were going to I helped them at the table when it made sense and helped with loading and offloading and all the other stuff. Uh, So it it was interesting to get sort of a re-entry to conventioning on the back end again, this time not as staff or as gophering, which is what I had been doing before, but this time from the artist and the dealer end. Uh, And uh, I don't know if the most number that I went to in a year, but it it was actually quite a lot because they were going to everything reasonably within like six hours uh, the Mm -hmm. entire year round. And so it became fairly trivial. I would just, you know, if I 
had been working, I would just take a Friday off or <laughs> what the fuck ever. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and hop along and, and so it became a weirdly communal sort of thing. Uh, and uh, that friend also introduced me to didn't really it was a weird thing because what he wanted was he wanted to get at least one thing from each con that they went to as sort of a okay he, this represents this con that we went to uh, he would fall out of the habit after a while but he started and uh, what he started doing was just essentially collecting scale figures so that became one of those things that took with me because I'd been to cons for years and the figures back in the late nineties were utter crap. They were, you mm -hmm. know, I, I grabbed garage kits, but I had no talent for sanding and sculpting and painting either. Uh, so I never did anything with them. Uh, they would have the occasional doll, which were creepy. I think Umi from Ray Earth succeeded at not being creepy, but everyone else was pretty bad. Uh, and any anything anything else just wasn't very good for a long period of time because it was dealing with vinyl and stuff like that that was all in the garage kit area. But by 2007, you started having PVC that was good quality pre-painted interesting poses and other stuff and not only that but you started having some of them that were being like reasonably priced the mm -hmm. the bome <laughs> uh collection and uh i still hadn't been terribly interested because part of the problem was i wasn't seeing any characters from anything i was familiar with anymore it was all very very new if you uh stop watching for six years in the middle and like code gas comes out in the interim <laughs> and a bunch of other things that it's like, Oh, Hey, uh, they would of course start making the, all of the new good figures, knowing the new good method were of new series. Uh, they didn't really backpedal much, but, uh, I found one that was, uh, Noriko from Gunbuster. I was like, Oh, Hey, about as classic, a character as you can get. It was cute, so I picked that up. Uh, and then that, you know, that wedged something else open that's like, oh man, this is, this is a goddamn, <laughs> this, this is a pit. This is a deep, deep pit. Uh, later I would pull other things and I, I'd just seek out things that were interesting and sometimes that introduced me to a series, many of which didn't uh, stick like there. Uh, damn it, I I can't remember the one. What what's her name in the Seven Companions? It was a good figure, but I uh, I don't remember the series. But then there was a really interesting one with a girl with a wearing a jacket and a and a hat and walking amongst uh, what looked like phone poles that had knives on it and. There's an extra pair of legs so that she could be wading in water rather than standing. And all of the stuff was removable. It was really neat. I'm like, hey, that's great. I'm just going to get this. And then at some point later, I'm like, what's this from? Bakemonogatari, huh? 
I'll have to check <laughs> that out. And uh, so I had, I had more feedback loops for uh, for yet more stuff. <clears throat> but it meant that my my reentry was uh, multifold for a bit. It was a lot easier to get anime and uh ray would uh toss a bunch at me at at that point we didn't necessarily do too much on the forum but he would pass stuff my way i could seek out torrents pretty easily i was going to cons a lot uh and doing yet you know yet more things uh i was collecting a bit more watching more and so that that was how I got back in, which included a lot of conning, which eventually did wear out. Amusingly, the timing of it, it wore out a whole lot with the fact that I couldn't conveniently go with my friends anymore uh, in Mm -hmm. that they would fill their car. So there was no room for me to even squeeze in as a passenger. So everything became with me having to drive and as work requirements leaned in more and more, uh, and other stuff, I'm like, okay, I'll, I went to fewer and fewer. Uh, and the only one that I kept going to since then has been Otakon still, which uh, which I went to last year and I'm going to this year. Uh, but to wrap that back around, when you were talking about paneling, that's what con going has become for me at this point. There's a period of time in which I would go to industry panels but I learned pretty quickly that other than discotheques, they're all boring and no different from me <laughs> reading your article telling me <laughs> what licenses they put there because no one knew how to put on an industry panel that was at all interesting. Uh, so there's like a, a year in which I tried there, but then I just started going to other people's panels and looking for stuff. So the... Uh, the first thing that I do when I'm when I can is I bring up guidebook and I start seeking stuff out, uh, like uh, going to the panels for the anime world order folks because they'll have a bunch of them and half the time I'll get to them incidentally because they will just be doing stuff there. They're of exactly the right kind of age bracket and the interest bracket for a lot of things. That means that when I see something that's interesting and I go to it, I'm like, oh. Gerald's running it, <laughs> which is kind of funny. And then I'll go to the next one and then I'll see them like the row over from me because they found that panel interesting, even though it was run by someone else. And I'm like, oh, it's it's an Evan Minto panel. So they that's where <laughs> other than hanging out on on Discord or or chatting with people on Twitter, uh, there's a weird little community of it's like a mental community for me of when I go to panels at certain cons, I end up seeing the same people uh, just because of the topics without realizing it. I'm not chatting mm. with them at it. I'll ask them ridiculous questions once in a while. <laughs> but but it's, it's the last holding con community for me, not, not uh, anime art auction purchasers, not anime music video uh, sorts. Not uh, not anything else, but panel goers who happen to attend the same ones. Uh, and for me, a lot of times that means, you know, making sure to hit the uh, the Japanese guest ones that uh, that I really want to. If uh, 
uh, uh, Maruyama or other folks are back at Otakon again, I'll I'll make sure to hit their panels. So uh, that's uh, that that's literally what I do. I st- I started going to uh, like my first concert, my first attended live concert. I don't count things that you know that you did during high school for band competitions or stuff like that. Uh, to see someone at concert was Naomi Tamura, who I think was Otakon 2008, either 2008 or 2009. And after that, I started going to all of the concerts there as well, because that was another interesting thing. I'm like, oh, hey, that's cool. They get musical artists here, and they're good. So, <laughs> uh, Radio was that uh, was that a recent one, and that was some good shit. So that's what that's what cons are to me now panel panels and concerts and still helping my friends occasionally at their booth but there's there's usually not a whole lot for me to do other than bring food and keep them hydrated hmm. so i have just one more question for you uh if you have more for me that's totally cool but i just have one more for you yeah over the years since you first started with vhs tapes how large is your collection now oh good lord um (laughs) very very i mean the uh vhs tapes technically haven't gone anywhere but I almost don't consider them part of the collection just because I'm not even sure I can play them anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> However, they still exist, and so do my laser discs. So yes, I have a laser. In fact, I bought laser disc collections at the last Otacon. Another one of those things like collecting uh, cells. There, there's mm-hmm. a part of me that still wishes laser disc was the medium of choice, just because I want the art. But. Uh, so the, those are more for just amusing collector's value, though. But uh, obviously, when when things started hitting DVD, I picked up quite a lot. Not a huge amount, though, because they still were, you know, constrained to uh, four episodes on each. And so to collect a set, you would usually be getting this... Uh, uh, thick wad (laughs) of dvds Mm. which which was a little physically imposing for it which is odd to say since i just said uh that i want laser discs still but they're very thin uh (laughs) so there there's a period of time in which uh you started being able to get sets or at least big wads of anime for a lot more reasonably priced uh when amazon's third-party market came there i was looking and i was like oh i can get all of razifon for a reasonable price i can get all of captain tyler for a reasonable price i would later learn of course that those were bootlegs but uh you mm-hmm. know they worked but i didn't really pursue them more but at a certain point anything in dvd and especially anything after blu-ray was like you could buy this one thing which has everything in it and it's basically one thin pack something smaller than uh, half the size of a vhs and uh 
smaller than it ever was, and it's HD quality, and it's the entire goddamn series, and it cost you somewhere between $20 and $40, uh, whereas before that was two episodes of Evangelion. Uh, and I'm like, okay, so I would I would still do that. Uh, and at certain points, you'd have huge sales and everything else, and I would just pick up stuff willy-nilly. I have piles of Blu-rays that are kind of unsorted, so that's that's uh, my pile of shame is a literal pile of shame. Um, <laughs> I do need to reorganize uh, shelves, but if you're talking about just uh, you know DVDs alone, certainly, certainly hundreds. I guess it would come. It'd be over five hundred in some fashion, uh, and by that I just mean different physical discs. I don't, I don't think I get close to a thousand in there, but I have a lot of other janky stuff as well, collectors editions and other things. And that's that's just anime. My manga is larger, mm-hmm. and uh, if you want to, I guess that that becomes part of it, and that that was something that I. I know I wanted to, you know, back when we were doing our Orange Road uh, assassination classroom cast, I wanted to use it as a lens into the fandom. So we're talking about literal fandom here. Uh, So, you know, as far as your anime collection goes, you know, where, how, how large is that? But more, I think more interestingly would be what, else have you delved into what do you think might be the most interesting thing that you've been collecting uh, that represents perhaps a more a more unique part of your fandom uh, and your personal interest um in terms of my collection my collection is actually not as large as I would like it to be um I grew up very poor i did not have a lot of money in my early days so a lot of anime that i have collected over the years were later on when i was able to get more money and was able to you know spend it a little more freely right so but my so my collection is not as large as i would like it to be i still um go out of my way uh, once or twice a year whenever there's a good sale on i will go back and i will stock my shelves with even more anime (laughs) Um, take care take advantage of uh, right stuff or a sentai yeah exactly yeah exactly so yeah um i enjoy expanding my anime collection i do collect other little things i have a few figures um you know little trinkets like that um but the bulk of my collection has always been like dvds and blu-rays that's been what i've wanted to collect the most of uh so like i said i it's not as large as i would like it to be there's still a lot of gaps in my collection that i would love to fill in um 
So I like how leading that phrase is, of course, as I would like it to be includes I own a mansion and it's filled (laughs) top to bottom with weed shit. (laughs) I'd like it to be that, but maybe that's unrealistic. Uh, After you're discovered uh, and become an idol in Japan, maybe that. Yeah, yeah. I my man cave is going to be my weeb cave. (laughs) Sure. But in terms of like the most the prized possession in my collection i this is kind of my weird nerd flex where (laughs) whenever i'm talking about my collection and i want to brag a little bit this is what i pull out is i have the original dvd singles and art box for the first season of when they cry uh, and the art box is autographed by Ryukushi07. Nice. And I do like that is my nerd flex that if I'm ever feeling like bragging to someone, mm-hmm. that's, that's what I pull out. It's like, oh yes, I happen to have the original creator's autograph on the original art box that was released back in 2006 or whenever Genion decided to take their ball and go home. Genion. Oh man. <laughs> ah, that's one of those things that sticks with me. It's all of those old, uh, you know, publishers distribution methods. The, uh, the, the uh, logos and the uh, sound effects that would uh, accompany them for emotion, stuff like that. Thing, things you don't get a whole lot of uh, in the modern era where it was all like a, a Funimation or a Crunchyroll. <laughs> Splat yeah, yeah. screen. But uh, including in front of movies in the theaters, which is interesting. I think one of one of the more personal parts of my collection started, interestingly enough, uh, in two places. The first of them was a really peculiar thing that I would do when going into uh, Chinatown. I mentioned before that that became the way that we would support our addiction. It was the only affordable way for a bunch of my friends were all high schoolers uh, still at that point because I, I got to know a bunch of people who were much more in your age bracket, uh, whereas I was, uh, you know, many years out of high school at that point. But beggars can't be choosers. To be, fa- to, to be fair, you and I are not that far apart. No, we're not that we're, far apart. But what I mean is people who are five years younger than me, stuff like that. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, which meant a whole lot more back when they were still in high school and I was not. Yeah, yeah. That it means yeah, now, yeah. where it means f- literally nothing at all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, where was I going with that? The uh, oh right, because we would we would be doing the uh, Chinatown trips, and they would have as much money as they could have gotten, you know, saved up from uh, allowances or gotten out of their parents. I would have whatever I tended to have more available because I was just working a job, even though it was, you know, data entry. At the very least, it was still something that had an actual salary attached. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd, when we'd go in, Chinatown had a bunch of stuff. It was the anime tapes, but there were a bunch of stores which had, you know, all kinds of bootleg uh, junk posters. One of my friends picked up a ton of posters. I picked up some. I liked wall. I liked interesting wall hangings more. Of those uh, uh, cloth hangings. Uh, I got really into music CDs. My first ones were actually purchased at Anime East ninety five. I picked up uh, some T shirts for someone's room, which was filled with bootleg stuff. I got a, a few Orange Road T shirts because the only ones on the floor were some really horribly, really horrible looking licensed Bubblegum Crisis ones. They were very yeah, bad. Yeah. Uh, and even if the bootleg ones were iron on stuff, at the very least, they had great designs and large sizes and interesting colors. Uh, but more than that, that's where I picked up my first uh, OSTs. So collecting CDs became a big part of the Chinatown trip for me. I'd usually come home with eight or so new CDs to add to my collection. Uh, but one of the other things that I always look for were decks of cards. Mm. Do you know why I would look for decks of cards? I couldn't tell you. (laughs) Because while the back of it, you know, the back of it might have a nice design, but if they were done right, I would look at it, it was basically, it could be up to 50, you know, 50 to 54 unique pieces of art from the series that they pulled out to put into the design to print the print up the cards from. So it was my way to get a bunch of art from the show or even from the, from the manga series at that point uh, and be able to, I, I didn't play games with them. I collected them for the ability to flip through them and, and enjoy the art. Mm. Uh, and of course we were still, you know, deep in the magic, the gathering at that point. So anything card related was still kind of a, kind of a literal high for us. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was and, this back before you had like scanners and I had a scanner at home, but it was not something that could take any, any good thing. It would have been, you know, like a, 300 dpi scanner maybe a 1200 one later uh i could go you know onto websites still and print stuff but again i didn't have a good printer i didn't have anything that was satisfying uh so this was an art pursuit for me and at a i think it was a dreamation which is a gaming convention so the same group we were still much more heavily into magic the gathering and uh role-playing games and going to attending gaming conventions because they had a lot of events and uh and just interesting stuff and it was fun to hang out and get a hotel room and fit it with anywhere between 8 and 14 people and uh, sleep <laughs> sleep for three hours and then go compete in card game tournaments. Uh, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, it was a ridiculous time. Uh, but at one of the dealers down there, you, you'd have a, like any weird gaming convention, you'd have a weird crossover of people there. Obviously a lot of stuff. So you could buy a bunch of dice, you could buy a bunch of 
uh, games. You could uh, you could witness the end of West End Games, uh, which had uh, they did the Star Wars RPG was what they were best known mm-hmm. for, but they had a bunch of other stuff, and that effectively they still had a table at a convention, even though I think they'd you know gone into Chapter Eleven or whatever. They were they were bankrupt, but they were still at a con. And at the end of the con, they just kind of left all of their stuff at the table where they were handing it out. So uh, we we picked up boxes of Star Wars, <laughs> Star Wars manuals. We had three boxes of the Species RPG, which was hilarious. We'd never seen it before. It was like their latest thing. I'm almost sure that that was like the last thing that they put together and hoped would sell well to bring them solvency and it just failed. Uh, and so we drove to a nearby, we left a bunch of them on cars in the parking lot of the gaming convention, which entertained us. Uh, Cause you know, if, if you have literally 60 to 80 of these things, what are you going to do? With the, we, we didn't yeah, need this many. Then we got a better idea, and before we were going home, we drove to uh, a new... (laughs) Because it was Sunday in which we were leaving, we drove to a nearby church, which had people in car, and we left copies of the Species RPG on the windshields of a bunch of people at church. We did not stick around... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to record the expressions on anyone's faces, but I, I do, I, I do like imagining what that might have been about at some point. But anyway, at one of these cons, uh, at the same table in which I picked up a bunch of little keychains with a skull on them, which. I didn't actually want as keychains. I just wanted a little rubbery skulls because they look cool to use as counters for uh, Vampire the Eternal Struggle because, you know, that was good to use. Use actual little skulls for them. Or to use as uh, tokens for skeletons playing Legend of the Five Rings or something like that. I haven't seen them in a while. I should find out where, what happened to them. At any rate, the guy also had on the backboard a bunch of art books. Uh, and that's one of those things that I started investing in as well, because I just wanted, you know, creator art, promotional art. Uh, it's, it's a reason that I still prize things like my Viz single issues of Ranma and Maisenikoku from back in the day, because it's large form, full color art. And, uh, you'd only get one or two uh, things that were related in uh, uh, Japanese Tonkabon. And even if you had chapter cover, you know, cover art, it wasn't really done as a full thing, and it was all black and white. So what you ended up getting is everything that was ever available for the series could end its way on the cover. And same thing with the art book, as I wanted art from the uh, creators. And a lot of these are just like screenshots of the anime, which is not what I wanted, and uh, interviews, which I would have loved if I could read them, but since they're in Japanese, that wasn't a thing. Uh, 
so what I what I picked up from there was one or both of the Devil Hunter Yoko art books at the time, which had my my qualification was at least half of it basically had to be full page, full art. And if the rest mm-hmm. of it was other stuff that I couldn't read or interact with, well, that's that was the price of entry for me. So yeah, uh, yeah. as part of it's not really a prized part of my collection in that I prize it most, but I have a bunch of art books and it's one of those things that I still like picking up and, uh, and still like going through. Uh, I'll pick up interesting things here and there. Like there's a perfect blue complete storyboard of the movie, which is crazy. And uh, I, I, I enjoy that. Excuse me, I enjoy that kind of stuff. If you were to ask me what my most prized possession of is, one of them is sadly something that I haven't been able to find, and I think it might be because one of my old friends uh, just kept it at some point, figured that maybe... I don't know if they absconded with it or I showed it to them and they just didn't think about it and wandered off with it. I haven't been able to find it, though, but that was uh, when I mentioned the artist that I would uh, get involved with and he gave me a sketchbook, which I would get a whole bunch of uh, sketches from people with. So that that represents a bunch of years of me going to cons and getting a bunch of people uh, uh, to... uh, you, I mean, it was really just for signatures, but most of the mm-hmm. time, because I already had people who were doing sketches as part of their autograph sessions, uh, even if that wasn't a part of it, when they would flip through and see that, like, there was a Mickey Moto sketch of Minmay in it, they would feel compelled to compete for the <laughs> fact that there's a Mickey Moto sketch of Minmay in it and do their own. <laughs> So it had any number of people. Adam Warren was in it, uh, uh, drawing Yuri, stuff like that. Uh, so that would be my most prized one if I could find it. Because it has the most personal connection to me and the creative talent for uh, the the industry. Uh, instead, though, I have a, uh, a cell from episode 5 of Orange Road very end there's a scene with Ayukawa and Kyosuke on a bench and uh, uh, a drunken confession which amusingly I wouldn't know exactly what it said for years because uh, that was uh, Orange Road I had episodes 5 through 8 on a tape and I watched them over and over and I mm. had that raw <laughs> for forever then uh my rental shop had the uh, like the ovas with uh with subtitles in them so i watched those because those came out separately from the show which i don't think the guy ever got the actual he didn't get the actual show he just got the ovas and the movie which was kind of hilarious but uh, uh so i have the a cell of the two of them on that bench uh, with the background art uh, and everything, and uh, if you were to to talk about one single thing, that's you know, like the uh, of the classic era. That's a frame from the one of the instances that that 
drives the most doki doki uh within my <laughs> cold dead heart <laughs> and it's it's really good shot and frankly it's probably worth a whole lot more i i spent a lot at the time but cells have gotten ridiculously expensive these days so yeah gotten out of that habit i i can't afford that crap uh <laughs> so that would probably be my if you're going to have one single prized possession i think it would be that but uh, I think the the single most amusing possession I have are I collected decks of cards until I got to 52 of them so that I could say I had a deck of cards per card. Uh, and then I picked up two more so I could cover the Jokers. And then I've collected more over the years anyway. So I don't know how many I have right now, but it's many. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't do anything with <laughs> But I enjoy having 70 decks of cards of, of anime. So, it's funny. Uh, did you have any other questions that you wanted to fire off for us? Or are we I don't, done? I don't think I had any for you. Now, I know that we sent up a a flare uh, in Discord and on Twitter, but I I don't think I saw anyone who had questions that they wanted to ask of both of us. I did. Uh, did you get anything from the no, outside world? Nope, I did not. I did get some from a source, but a lot of them aren't really. Some of them feel like they could be subjects for a countdown episode, but uh-huh. <laughs> rather than being asked about us and, uh, and our otakudom. So uh i'll just breeze through a few and if any of them are interesting we can uh decide whether we want to sink it in yeah okay do you think there's some anime essential viewing for anyone who's serious about the genre never mind what their favorites are what we you assign for a course in anime 101 so yeah again that feels like countdown content yeah yeah. Uh, what what should be consigned to oblivion or should never have existed ever again I think we've done <laughs> something close yeah. to that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Your your house is on fire. You have time only to rescue uh, one set. Uh, you you have time only to rescue like stuff you can carry out with your hands. Mm. Uh, so therefore, what would your what would you be carrying out with you? And I suppose we covered that by way of uh, talking about prize possessions. Yeah, yeah. This isn't about us. What country do you think will dominate anime five years from now? I'm I'm gonna go with Japan. Yeah, I'm 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 gonna go out on a limb and say Japan <laughs> is probably going to keep their stranglehold for a little bit longer. Mm, is there an anime series you enjoy but wouldn't be able to watch if the music was poor? That's an interesting question. That's interesting. Uh, what What about if the art and music were excellent but the story was no better than C-. <laughs> Great story and music but feeble artwork. That, that sounds like an interesting one to turn into a countdown would be something yeah, like yeah. that. What what are these series where one aspect tanks it for you? Something like that. Mm-hmm. 
if only one example of anime survives on a devastated earth, which one would you want future archaeologists to discover in its remains? Does does that just go to your favorite series, or do you... Uh, if we're talking, like, the prime example of the best that anime can be, I would have to go with either my favorite, which is Assassination Classroom, <laughs> or if I wanted to point out series that are just difficult to argue as anything less than masterpieces. That's what I think is what the question is getting at. Uh, in that case, I would go with either Violet Evergarden or Madoka Magica. Yeah, yeah. If we were if we're talking series <clears throat> that it's hard to argue them being anything less than a masterpiece. Those would be the ones that I would go. Now, would Rebellion if make I, it, or uh... <laughs> would what? Would Rebellion make it, or just uh, just this? Series? Just a TV series. Okay. Just a TV. Sorry, series. Rebellion. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I was wondering if uh, you know if you're thinking about it that way, would you throw something like? Uh, bebop up there because it's got a couple core but it's also representing something that that's central to it or, or again like evangelion because it's specifically there I, I think this uh that question though fits me well because while i don't believe <laughs> space brothers does uh you know like is an exemplar of anime I feel like it's a better exemplar of certain things of anime and then just aspirational things about humankind that I would mm. like aliens to know about us. <laughs> so I feel I feel comfortable in uh, in giving that slot to Space Brothers and and it happens to be my favorite thing. So I don't know. Hey, that works. Uh, are there anime you loved when you were younger but wouldn't like it if you came to them now that you're older? Oh god, yes. No, I know. I know. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. So... Yeah, there, wait, there we, are We many... covered something simpler, uh, you know, similar to it, and we tend to talk about it in conjunction with other uh, with other discussions when we're doing it in, in Countdown, but I guess central to it is have your tastes changed significantly over the years yes um and in in what ways then so yeah i was a, i was about to get to that yeah. <laughs> uh what ways have my taste changed since i was younger um the most obvious one is that i am much i'm not anti pervy anime i have no problems with pervy anime as long as it's done well if it's done well then you know pervy anime can be fun um however back in the day i was taking in a lot <laughs> of trash anime and 
giving it higher scores than I probably should have. <laughs> um, uh, you were actually rating them at the time, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, things like um, Soccer Diaries was the first, like, kind of pervy anime that I watched, and I was giving that high scores. Kiss Sis for a long time. <laughs> I was hardcore into that and loved every bit of it. And, uh, so, and now you know, when they... you recognize the OP and anime music quiz, you apologize for knowing it. Yeah, yeah, pretty <laughs> much. So, yeah, so, I mean, back in the day, I was much more forgiving of pervy and harem anime in general. Um, these days, like I said, I'm not against it, and if you enjoy it, more power to you. But I tend to be a lot more picky about which ones from that genre I pick up and stick with for an entire season. Were there any other major genres that you could think of? You know, certain action, combat, or sports, or other stuff? Was there a period of time? I know there's a general tendency when you're younger to just not care about the things that aren't terribly mature in general, which include, which can include a lot of you know, fisticuff hack and slash edgelord stuff. Uh-huh. But what was there a time in which, you know, you were really into certain things back then uh, that you that you would not be now? Or that, that when you've revisited, you've had to uh, to cringe at your past self and would not pursue like I said... the genre? Um, it's mostly things like harem anime from back in the 90s and 2000s that I was, a, like I said, was a lot more forgiving of back in the day. Uh, Love Hina is an example. Mm. Girls Bravo is an example. To Love Rue, to an extent, was is an example. You know, so there's... It's mostly the romantic harem series. Gotcha. That back in the day, I loved them, loved them, loved them, and then eventually I just kind of moved on and don't pay as much attention to them these days. <laughs> yeah, so, right, in, in that case, it becomes is their genre. Uh,. I don't I don't think I mean I would watch stuff like Love Hina back in the day but since that was what was that 2001 something like that so that was me watching with my friends and we were already we were laughing along with it but we were largely considering it a lark at the time uh -huh. anyway so we did I feel like I f I feel like it's a little weird but I don't know if my tastes have changed much since I was 15. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure I watched more... Th I think some of this comes down to certain timing. Uh, 
and and certain circumstance. So the timing wise in the beginning, anime, I watched almost no TV series. There wasn't a whole lot of TV series. That was the age of OVAs and movies. Uh, it was the age of a of a crap ton of uh, sci-fi. So it's it's not like I'm like, ah, oh, I don't wouldn't watch anything sci-fi. Screw that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we keep pursuing it. It didn't attract me specifically, but I mean, you know, I'll, I'll watch your your Vivi's uh, quite readily and uh, 86s and other stuff. I've, I feel like possibly my most cringy thing was actually enjoying Gundam Wing back in the day. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh... But that's that's where one of the things, because that's where anime stopped being an, a lone uh, hobby for me. Gundam Wing, uh, Flame of Rekka, Kenshin. So the time in which I watched the most Shonen battle stuff uh, would have been during this era. Gundam Wing came in as well. Anything that was huge in the, you know, basically the mid to, to late 90s was what we were feeding off of. Uh, but we fed off a whole lot of everything, and and none of them were particularly into, you know, your Dragon Balls, uh, even going back to and picking up. So, and that was not something that I had really pursued. I watched Fist of the North Star, but I didn't pursue anything further there. I had fun with some of the edgy stuff like Ninja Scroll, of course, but I did not get into it. There, there was a certain level of what I considered you know, otaku meatheads back in the day that made a number of those things unappealing to me anyway. Uh-huh. And I'm like, you guys don't know what Nowske is, but you can't stop talking about uh, Fist of the North Star and how Goku can kick everyone's butt. Uh, but, uh, uh, so that, that really didn't stick. You know, a lot of comedies and stuff I would get into, but I'd still always enjoy something more like your Captain Tyler or your Excel Saga, and not as much harem rom-com stuff. I'd enjoy some rom-com things uh, generally, uh, but I never rated them terribly highly. I was really into certain key shoujo titles back at the time, and I don't mean Sailor Moon, I mean things like They Were Eleven. Uh, you know, coming across something like Rose of Versailles early on. I have a feeling that if I was introduced to Chihaya Furu, like, back in the day, it still would have immediately appealed to me and been one of my favorite mm -hmm. things ever. It's really weird to say, but I don't think my tastes have changed much. I've gotten a little bit looser in the other way, not where I'm embarrassed about certain things that I enjoyed that I no longer feel like I should, but that I've started to enjoy other things that I normally wouldn't by being able to successfully turn brain off and, and enjoy pointless thing like Food Wars. <laughs> but uh i don't know it, it's weird I, f I feel like uh i need a to to run off the whole session here but i i don't feel like i'm running across anything that makes me terribly embarrassed to have 
really enjoyed it either genre-wise or work-wise at the time. Uh-huh. And I don't feel like there's anything now that would would really not have appealed to me back then. So, uh, I don't know. I, I guess I am an unchanging, uh, pointless square. That's, that's all I got. <laughs> so if you too, you dear have... listener, want to hear about my shit days, continue subscribing. Did you have any other questions on your list or anything else to ask? Uh, I don't think so. I usually like to springboard off other stuff, but unless there's any aspect of your otakuness that you uh, didn't introduce or feel like uh, you wanted to bring up before the end, I I think we I think we got it covered. All right, let's go ahead. Let's wrap things up then. Thank you again for joining me for another fun discussion. It's been a blast doing fifty podcasts with you, and here's to fifty more. Same, same. Well, let's try to get our uh, uh, ability to do them <laughs> more in gear. Slap myself around. But, but... And thank you to all of you for listening to us talk for the last 50 episodes. Again, we can't do this without listeners, so... You know, we appreciate every single one of you who listen and occasionally submit a comment. Uh, And yeah, we hope that you will stick around and continue to listen to our podcasts. And until then, or until our next episode, that is, have a great night, everybody. Good night, everybody.